Well, hi there, and um, welcome to our ninth uh, Smart Building webinar in the 2015 series. And um, this is basically called Making Video Surveillance Smarter, um, a look at uh, machine learning and beyond. And I'm really pleased to say that um, I've got with me uh, a guy called Carter Maslan today, who is CEO of uh, Cameo. Uh, who are a Silicon Valley startup uh, looking and specializing in smart video monitoring. So, hi, Carter. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not at all. I'm really pleased to, to have you uh, on this webinar. Uh, just a quick uh, thing before we start, um, just to say to everyone who's listening in, um, we're very happy to make this sort of like an interactive webinar, take questions from anybody. So if you do... Um, want to say anything or have or have make comments questions and please type them in i'll get them here and then um i can put them to card or it may even be a question for me so uh, so yeah please do that so yeah without without further ado um carter do you want to just give us a brief introduction about yourself and the company sure uh, maybe it'd be helpful just to describe how we got started because when we were at google uh, we launched street view and in the early usability studies we were shocked at what we were finding in, in nearly every usability study. And uh, the first thing people would do would be uh, go to their house, and that's not surprising, because right? people want to see their house in Street View. But uh, there was always somebody that would say, why isn't my car parked there? I left it there this morning. And uh, they somehow magically assumed that the video, and, or the imagery rather, was real time. And so it got us thinking, like, what would it take to have the world indexed in real time to tell you things like UPS has a large package at your doorstep at 232 mm. or your mom who's living alone hasn't made coffee by her normal 10 a.m. so give her a call so Cameo got started by this concept that was like a big one of like how could you have Google for the real world that's private to you and that just told you the things that you wanted to know uh, without necessarily even having to watch video and uh, that got us started on getting this open video processing pipeline that works with any camera source, whether it's fully encoded video or even slow still frames that one snapshot every five minutes from a rural camera in Kenya or Panama Canal. You know, all of these things can be uh, understood via machine learning. And so. Uh, that's we started just with apps that made you made it simple to just download an app, press record, and you've got your own personal video monitor. But it's really a goal to have a platform that can make video smart and useful in everyday life. Right, because that's what got me um, sort of interested um, in you guys was I read um, an article that you did in the MIT Tech Review, which talked about you know your approach to it. But but then I sort of looked into it a bit more, and because um, you, you're not. There is no hardware, right, in your offering. Exactly. Yeah. So you're using existing. So you, if a, let's say somebody has a smartphone that they're not using lying around, they can then use that as as the camera. Exactly. You can use even your web browser. If you just go to a Chrome browser and go to cameo.com/cam, it instantly turns that desktop into a free video monitoring camera, just by going to that web page. Uh, and so we have the same thing for Android and for iOS, and then uh, we have a number of Cameo-ready cameras that make the out-of-box configuration simple, but we're really open to any camera source. We have integrations with uh, Mobotics and Sharks and Panasonic, and uh, so we, we, we ideally want to support all uh, cameras to make them smart. Yep. 
Okay. So um, I think probably best thing then, if you, I know you wanted to do sort of a, uh, a demo and we can look at how you're, what you're doing with the analytics on this. Um, yeah, so I'm going I, to uh, change over now. That's okay, okay to you. Sure. And then I will uh, present my screen here. Let me just show my screen. So are you able to see my screen now? Yep, I can see it. Okay, great. Well, just I know that some people are just listening on audio, so I'll try to do a narration. But for those that you, of you can see, I'll start just with the normal live view. And so this is my front door. This is one view of the Cameo office, another view of the office. We've got a lot of cameras in the office, uh, backyard, front yard. So this is not anything different than normal video. But what Cameo is focused on is super fast search. So I can say people approaching my outdoor walkway and literally within a second I can see a summary of an entire week of everybody that's approached the walkway. And so as I hover over each of these events you can do quick scrubbing feedback. So instead of watching the video you can just get a quick preview like there's my daughter heading to the airport. Uh, and the idea is that uh, you know each camera is throwing out 24 hours of video obviously and we've found that only about a minute is actually interesting to anybody. So the challenge is how do you take this huge amount of data and just highlight the salient parts that actually are, are interesting or actionable. And then if you do want to see anything, you can do searches, but you can also just say, uh, I just want to see people at my door. And uh, if there's anything that's interesting, uh, sorry, I've got a... Uh, incoming call that I will reject <laughs> sure. one second. Sorry about that. I'm going to no close worries. that down. Just uh, Let me just close this. So you can, when you're doing a search and you do find something interesting, you can still play the video. So here there was a FedEx delivery and I can play it back in HD video and here I'm, I'm playing a front door camera. This is actually just a spare Moto G Android that I had in my front window, just as an example of reusing a spare device. And then one of the things that is uh, key about the approach Cameo takes to judging what's interesting is when I played that video of the FedEx delivery, that is an implicit training for the machine learning. So without actually knowing that it's a FedEx truck, uh, it just knows that it's interesting to me, uh, in part because I played it, but you can also do in the lower right, all of these have a little thumbs up, thumbs down, that if you really want to train quickly, you can get a camera smart about what you find interesting with as little as about 13 up and down votes. And that's kind of core to what we're doing is uh, making it easy to have the salient parts jump out without a lot of training so that it just happens automatically from your daily usage or you can give it explicit feedback if you want to kind of give it a tutoring session. Okay, so, and actually this is what uh, I read about in that MIT uh, tech article that, that, you, that you guys did. So this, this approach is basically using neural network uh, software, or sorry, exactly. algorithm as an approach. So can you explain a bit, a bit more about that then, about um, how, how, how it's working? Yes. Uh, well, there's there's multiple layers of uh, of the neural networks. So if you just look at it from the video coming in, 
the first one is most cameras have a lot of false alerts from just spurious lighting changes and blowing leaves and patterns on the sh on the lawn from the tree above and so just getting to the significant motion like things that are actually objects moving is one layer of neural networks and that layer is basically learning uh, we call it like an adaptive motion filter for the scene that adjusts based on the wind that's blowing in the last five minutes all of a sudden you get a lot of shimmering leaves and uh, it can say oh that's a hot spot of irrelevant motion and I'm going to ignore that as, in, as significant so instead of just using kind of gross sensitivity levels that most of uh, the cameras are able to do it can actually get smart about the scene to know that that's a shimmering tree or that's that's a rippling pool in the background so that's one layer of the neural nets and they basically are uh, trying to guess what is recurring and making the scene have uh, this adaptive motion filter so that gets us probably to about 90 percent elimination of false stuff okay. uh, that comes from it. Then of the remaining 10%, there are 10 concurrent neural networks for each camera that are voting on what they think you're going you're gonna to find interesting. And they do that by learning patterns of uh, the direction of movement, the colors and regions that are moving, the duration of the event, all, a whole bunch okay. of signals. So, so to, use, to use this example of like your front door, Yes. You would vote up. So if you um, you're particularly interested in your family, so let's say your wife, your your daughter, your your son, yeah. you would vote up videos what they are included in, and then over time it would learn that those are the shapes, patterns, movements that you're that you're most you're most interested in. Yes, exactly. And uh, even without the explicit voting up, I was bringing that up. Uh, we made it like a simple thumbs up down that's on the apps too, so that even when you get an alert on your, uh, you know how you get push notifications on an Android app, for example, it'll include a cover image and a quick thumbs up and down because we want to encourage that training. But uh, one key thing is that even if you don't do any of the thumbs up and down, it'll still learn from things like which videos you play and do you, do you scrub them back and forth or do you share them with somebody or if they were bad did you delete them and so uh, there's varying levels of feedback in addition to the thumbs up and thumbs down but that's what it that's what it's doing just as a quick background when people talk about neural nets it's really just taking uh, a set of desired outputs meaning like this view of all the interesting events that are people approaching my walkway mm. and then trying to find the pattern that will produce that good output from the input and so that's why uh, each camera has its own set of neural networks that are learning for that particular camera's view and you as an individual user so one way of thinking about it is uh, the, the key technical insight behind Cameo was uh, computer vision used to be kind of focused on object classification like is this a, a human or a car or a dog and that is still important but one of the things that we realized is that a little gray furry creature on my walkway is just an uninteresting squirrel to me uh, in my particular camera that we're looking at now but the same size furry gray object uh, in a Lake Tahoe camera from my co-founder Luca's house he loves seeing the coyotes that are passing by that look 
from a camera's perspective like a squirrel. And so without Cameo having to differentiate between a squirrel and a coyote, which is a harder problem, we can quickly learn what is interesting and not interesting. So the idea was distilling that 24 hours of video into the one minute that matters each day. And uh, that's what that's what the machine learning is really focused on is identifying interesting things. Uh, there, there's other layers too that we could go into about there is machine learning on object classification, but uh, the core of Cameo's machine learning is uh, learning what's interesting to you. Well, and that kind of makes me or leads me on into something. I I mean I I just wrote um, an article at the end of last week, mainly to promote this um, the webinar we were doing, but also looking at sort of the approach we've had so far to you know machine learning in in computer imagery and a lot of it as you've said and and talked about is or or was about image classification and learning or trying to teach the system to recognize different things or to or you know where things are going that kind of stuff um but I, i know and there was some work that google did back sort of what three or four years ago where they actually were trying to train the or the software. They gave it no input at all, um, right. and it was then able to go and start looking at YouTube clips and identifying and actually learn what a cat was just by yes. looking at different things. Yes. How far away are we from um, that kind of breakthrough? Where, or, or in your opinion, do you think is that is that the way that it's well, going to go in the future, or? Are we really going to be dependent on this kind of object-based recognition for a long time? Um, I think there's going to be a blend, but the, the thing about the convolutional neural nets that were used for the cat example yeah. is that it, it, those kinds of learnings are predicated on a massive amount of data. And so it is good for situations like Google and Facebook where they have a lot of tag data that can start inferring uh, patterns from it, but it's harder when you're talking about a camera that's just for a low traffic site in right. some uh, building. And so that that's the key thing that we're trying to uh, merge is the goodness of object classification that comes from some of these big uh, convolutional neural net patterns with the speed and simplicity that you can apply to a single camera. So that, you know, getting to the point where you could say there's a stranger at your door uh, I mean, we're, it's within reach. I'm not, I don't know exactly how long it's. I think the the it's it's within reach today with no cost constraint. But the key is doing it at a price point that people will pay for. And I think that's where the core innovation has to come. Is uh, this stuff is technically feasible? It's just at what price? And I think the innovations are going to come and bringing the price down to make it accessible so that you get delightfully smart video at a price that people will pay. Right. Yeah, and sorry, and I should have said that, right, because the cat example was what, they took like 16 million yeah. YouTube videos, right, to, to be able yeah. to, to, to get to that point. Yeah. Uh, the other, I mean, the thing that also that interests me about what you're doing is the, the, the search. Because yes. it is it is basically natural language in a way, right? Isn't it? Because you're not searching for objects; yeah. you can search for. Can you explain yeah, right. a bit about how that works? Yes. Uh, so you can search for 
people in cars and directions like approaching and departing and colors. So if I do, if I just want to see people that were, that had some red, I could say uh, people that had red shirt on, on my outdoor walkway. And it, it'll do basic color blocking uh, to find red objects. Or let me, the one that uh, I know that is kind of entertaining because we recycle our shower water in California is I can say backyard purple and it'll find the purple bucket uh, that we every every time we empty our uh, shower water for the plants, and so that kind of speed at searching for a purple object is just among the vocabulary that we current currently support. So people, cars, direction of movement, colors, uh, what zones uh, you have. So in this picture, uh, let's say that I want to show how we edit the zones of a scene. So part of the semantics comes from your own description of the scene. So you can just have this kitchen door label. Uh, for those that are just listening, I'm just showing a zone editor where you can label uh, particular uh, areas of the scene just by drawing a picture in the browser. Okay. And so that, that adds some semantics, but we don't think that these labeled zones are the long-term. Uh, eventually, we're going to be able to segment the scene and label it just from some of the techniques that you mentioned about uh, looking at a scene and identifying doors and windows, I think that'll be automatic within a few months. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so basically the, the uh, semantics of the search currently include the camera names and zones, direction, people, colors, uh, but uh, just this week we're launching new labeling that'll uh, expand it to a lot of different objects. So. Uh, that's part of what I was mentioning is that once you get 24 hours down to one minute that you know is interesting, then you can spend compute cycles doing really great stuff on that one minute. And so uh, that's kind of the core thing that we had to get in place before we could go deeper in the search semantics. But uh, the, both the mobile apps uh, on iOS and Android They'll also just have like a voice input where you can where you can say things like uh, bicycles departing uh, office building 8 a.m. and you can just say that and it'll show you bicycles departing at 8 a.m. and that that's coming this week. So uh, it's exciting that mm -hmm. I think we're going to get to the point where it is feasible to do this in real time on a real time video stream just for your personal camera that you know is just trained for you. Because this is, I mean, this is quite, it must be quite computationally expensive, right, to do this kind of processing on these images. Are you, yeah, that, where are you storing the, the data? I mean, because, so if you have, I mean, and I guess because you don't know what camera you might be working with, it might be a, a, a pretty crappy smartphone or it might be like a right. quite sophisticated camera. So are you very limited about like kind of what processing you can do on the edge? Uh Right, we want to push as much as we can to the edge, and some cameras, uh, we're working with camera makers that are collaborating on ways to have a lot of the work uh, move to the edge, but yeah. right now, Cameo is currently designed for the lowest common denominator, so that even if the camera can do nothing other than motion-detected video uploads or motion-detected snapshot uploads, it'll still work, but that does add compute expense on our end, so we're... So, you know, it is expensive, but what, one of the things that was interesting is we found that the results for this uh, initial indexing 
are just as good on small images as they are on big images. It's only until it's only at the point where you know you have the one minute in the day that's interesting that you really would prefer to have the high res for the mm -hmm. object classification. But up until that point, uh, you know, we operate a lot of the algorithms on these uh, smaller thumbnails. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you see um, the, the edge the, being able to do a lot of the um, processing at the edge as a, as a big advantage in terms of uh, the, yeah. uh, the architecture? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a timing thing between bandwidth being plentiful and uh, the low-cost compute-intensive stuff being able to be done at the edge. Like, there's some... Samsung and Qualcomm and others are coming out with uh, chips that really they can let you run neural nets on the device even on some of these new generation devices and there's getting GPU chips that are really cheap that are on devices so I think certainly from like a macro trend perspective both the edge devices and cameras are going to become more capable and I hope you know the bandwidth that continues to be uh, growing. So where the crossover is, like in the U.S. it varies even by city. Like there's some places where they really just have horrible uplink speeds with DSL connections and to do any of this stuff you really have to have some collaboration on the on the edge. Like our Android app does a good job because it does a fair amount of triage before uploading anything so we can we can operate those cameras over DSL lines. Uh, but then you know, if that, that wouldn't be a problem if they had high bandwidth. But bottom line is I think both edge devices and bandwidth are increasing to the point where it'll just become amorphous where the compute happens and you'll just be able to put it where it's best able to run. And so we're, we're, it's, it's harder to get the edge stuff caught up, at least by putting it in the cloud right now, we can support all devices, which is one of the key things we think we need for the uh, building of shareable and useful video is that it's inclusive of every camera. Yeah, right. The uh, And then so to go back on something that you mentioned earlier about um, how you see this developing, because I mean, this isn't, I mean, a lot of the use cases or some of the use cases you talk about are, are to do with security, but a lot, I guess, aren't as well. Do you, how do you see um, this developing and what really is the vision for what you think that, you know, how we're going to be using video in the future? Well, ideally we won't even watch video. Like I'd love the video to become the eyes and ears of computers so that you have this kind of, I, I, I think of it as like ambient computing where if I just walk up a walkway, the lights turn on, uh, if if I, the example I had before that's touching to me is there's people with elderly parents living alone and just to be able to get a phone call to say give them check up on them because they had not fallen in their normal routine just simple things like that where you're not actually watching video but the video becomes the eyes and ears of the computer uh, that to me is really exciting and so you know that part I'll show one quick demo of our uh, of our IFT uh, integration, just because I think it's an example. Yeah, right. For those that don't know, what is IFTTT? 
IFTTT is if this then that, and it's a, meant to make it easy to program uh, the coordination of apps and services to do what you want to do. Right. And so uh, I could just give a quick example of uh, getting a phone call when Cameo detects people approaching uh, the office, let's say. And uh, I'll just do a quick example just to show how this video can become a general purpose input to computer. So I'm creating a recipe. I'm going to say, uh, if this, and I'll, I'll go to the Cameo channel, uh, and I'm going to say, I want to do uh, if on advanced motion detection. And then I can say, uh, when someone uh, approaches my door, uh, no matter what color, <laughs> I will, uh, it, it, let's say uh, all directions, whether approaching or departing, I'll just say approaching. Uh, and I just want to do people. So when there's people approaching my door, uh, I won't even care what zone it, what it is. I'm going to create a trigger. So this is, a uh, trigger is just something that uh, makes the subsequent action happen. And so it yep. says, okay, if, if there's advanced motion detected in my door, then uh, I want a phone call. So I'm just going to say, uh, call, and I'll say phone call, and then that's it. I just say call my phone, and it gives this message: "Hello, this is to inform you that Cameo detected people uh, at my door uh, at a particular time." And I just create that action, and now I've got this programmable recipe. And this is just one example of the kinds of workflows you could have. You could imagine somebody that's in charge of uh, security for a building. You could just say instead of my guards sitting behind a bank of monitors, they'll have cell phones and just they'll get dispatched to the places where there are people approaching entrances that shouldn't have people at the entrances, as an example. So the idea is that you could just have this cloud-coordinated workflow uh, and a set of processes that are driven off of what the uh, computers or what the cameras hear and see, but you're not actually watching the video. It's just uh, working on your behalf. So I, I love that idea of Zen computing, where instead of sitting in front of keys and pressing buttons and stuff, you just interact with computing through your voice and actions in the real world. So uh, when, I, when, I, when I introduced Cameo, I was mentioning that our grandiose vision is to be like a Google for the real world, where you can just, instead of having the information limited to what's been published as a document or as a photo, anything that a camera can see can become a source of useful information. You just point it at your, whether it's your dog or your building security or the Panama Canal ship counting through uh, that canal, you can do anything that a camera can see and hear. Right. And, you know, hopefully we move towards this um, time when, when our, when, you know, computer vision is capable of doing some of the stuff that our eyes and our brains can do and we can recognize things and, and as you said, it makes it very powerful if we can then put it together and create with other yeah. applications that we have um, to, to do things that, because I think that's one of the, the things, you know, a lot of um, smart home applications or things right, that we see in, in smart buildings are made, it's technology for a very specific purpose, mm -hmm. uh, which it, which is interesting, right? Because this approach is more about, well, we can just provide the video and it's intelligent enough that then you can use it for whatever purpose that you want to use it for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, 
if it's like a, the distinction between a application versus a set of services that you can tailor, this has been a challenge for Cameo because we are trying to uh, approach the problem so that it is open to any camera source and open to any output. Uh, and yet we know that we need to lead with some specific applications. That's why, as silly as it is, we got our early start with dog parents because they were the most ready to just download an app, press record, and get smart alerts at work. And they would check their dog eight times a day and were, they were a great early set of users as an application. But like I say, all the time we're thinking of Cameo as something that could be used across industries, whether it's healthcare or security or construction or, or anything. And so this has been a challenge for us as a company is picking the partners and uh, applications that light up the technology, uh, but still enable us to be a general purpose open to any source and output kind of platform. Mm. That's one of the things that we don't lead with on the site is this API. If you uh, take a look at the the uh, API page, it gives you all the basics for just embedding video into your site based on when something happens or getting a notification like a callback if you just said, hey, call my servers to do something when there's a mail delivery. You can program all of this stuff whether it's with IFT or your own coding. Okay. So. Yeah. Do you, I mean, in terms of what the work that you've done with video analytics, you, I mean, I guess you must have done when you went, when you were putting this together, you looked at what other people are doing and other approaches. Um, yep. What What do you think to this neural network approach gives you above and beyond what is, what is sort of what other people are doing? I mean, I think the biggest thing is the resilience to be wrong <laughs> occasionally is that when you go with the traditional approach of object classification, you disappoint people frequently because as much as you see, you know, the, the crime movies and stuff with people getting these, you know, enhance, enhance, and, and getting a really good precision on uh, object uh, classification and stuff, it's just you're always going to have false labels and problems. And, and even in the state of the art right now with machine learning, a lot of the times you're wrong. And so we kind of we looked at the space as like uh, in need of the equivalent of Google's top three results, where there's a lot of bad search results on page two through 10. Uh, but how do you create an experience where it feels magically correct because you are forgiving of the mistakes. And, and so I think the big delta between what we saw existing was one, you had to buy a lot of on-site server infrastructure and stuff, and it was kind of a point in time uh, that your systems were uh, installed. That, that's kind of the state of the art. They didn't continue learning and growing and getting smarter. Uh, so basically, the, the fixed purchase time and installation, the fact that they didn't evolve and get smarter, and the fact that they were kind of over-promising on precision uh, relative to what's achievable, so you had to have some forgiving on this. Mm. Uh, I think those were 
some of the key aspects beyond yeah. just the other one where we just wanted to have it be open to all camera sources and programmable on the web and easy modern APIs instead of just, I mean, the, the software that I saw or I continue to see in the surveillance industry is just horrible. It's like all these wonky plugins and firewall configuration headaches and it's just really a mess. Mm. And so, uh, so our bottom line was, it's like, yeah, got it. It just feels like this could be just so much better uh, with, you know, modern web programming, ongoing learning uh, that can get better and better even after the first day you've installed your system, and something that scales from a single camera and an app all the way through, you know, thousands of cameras for a large commercial deployment. And so that that was kind of our our take on the space. Granted, we weren't insiders in the space, but I think that was kind of helpful because we were just coming at it from a different background. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that was a good thing to come from sort of a software background and look at the security industry as from the outside. I mean, one thing I'll pick up on what you said was I definitely feel like talking to some people that, that these kind of the, what and, you know, going back three, four years ago, what analytics could do was oversold to people. Yeah. And there was, and there has been disappointment about that, which is a yeah. shame because I think then now that's still, you know, in people's minds. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but what I'm seeing more of, I think, is, um, and I don't think this is surprising, but like, you know, analytics being focused on a particular like uh, niche, for example, casinos, yeah, where they're looking for specific behavior, you know, from individuals, um, and then they can, uh, you know, uh, take all, the, and so that you can you can make some very specific software, and I guess that yeah. then makes the by by definition that then makes the software more accurate. Yeah, I mean, we want to have those specialties in the pipeline. So, for example, if you want a people counter or you want to look at retail hot zones, uh, all of these uh, kind of specialized applications, we want to eventually offer as plugins. So that, let's say that it's $9 per camera for the basic search and alerts and 30-day archive with continued learning of what's interesting to you, and that's like the base uh, service. But then if you want the plug-in for uh, this particular retail package, like people counting in end cap hot zones or the casino plug-in, that's what I think would be fantastic is if the industry could develop a marketplace of specialized analytics and services that could just plug into whatever camera installation you have. And, and that's part of what I hope we can start enabling by having this general purpose pipeline is that you can enhance even a selective number of your cameras or even for a particular period of time like, mm. like if you only want to if you only want to run and pay for the analytics during a big promotional period to learn from that sample store opening then do that and so I think there's a uh, interesting things that could change the way those apps and services are even delivered uh, in a more flexible way, uh, mm. more on-demand on way. So I hope that we can help bring that together. And I, that's that's part of why I wanted to uh, talk to you guys on this call was just 
I'm interested in people contacting us because I think there's a big opportunity to get some collaboration around smarter and smarter services on video. Yeah, and I, and I think as as an industry, from what I've seen, you know, um, it, you know, say industry, I mean, the security, that they are getting um, better at that. I mean, and it's companies like, for example, Milestone, who produce video management software. Yeah, which is you know a bit more open, um, although it's not open source. It's kind of you know you, there is an API basically, but they but they are encouraging people to write plugins and and uh, for mm-hmm. that. So you know. Uh, they've done the work of being able to integrate all of these different cameras and then people can can come along and put software in it. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, we are, we, the industry is getting, is getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got mm-hmm. a question here for you. Um, have you encountered any concerns regarding privacy, especially where the images are collected in public or semi-public places? I mean, it's so interesting because we were so focused on privacy and security, and I just have been hoping people ask more about it because <laughs> uh, we designed it so that the cameras have no credentials of the user. Uh, they they use these upload tokens that uh, are encrypted and don't even identify the source of the imagery. We store everything encrypted. We use perfect forward secrecy on every SSL connection. We did all of this stuff that was important to us and so few consumers have asked about it, I've been frustrated. Uh, in fact, the, the irony is we get uh, tech support calls where people just say, hey, could you just take a look at Monday at 8 a.m.? And we're like, we can't see your video by design. This is all encrypted for you. Uh, and so the short answer is I've been shocked at how little people care about, the, uh, at least in our, in our experience. But I think it's a fundamentally important question, and we've we've designed Cameo so that there's no access to the video. Uh, even among engineers uh, at Cameo, uh, you know, it's all explicitly under the control of each individual user and everything is encrypted. I think the biggest thing that I've seen, you know, if you saw the FTC fining these companies, uh, you know, significant dollar amounts for just poor security practices in yeah. their camera firmware, I mean, I, I do think that's a horrible industry uh, practice today. Is they, everybody says, you know, open these network ports, forward them to this camera. You know, maybe they've not only are you passing camera credentials in the clear often, but uh, you know, there's lacks uh, security in the firmware, and so you end up with just a lot of vulnerable cameras, and so. This what whole, is what is the reason for that? You think it's just poor software development or just yeah, laziness? I think it's a number of things. One, it's a lot cheaper if you can just open a stream to a camera and tell people to open ports so that you can connect directly to the camera stream. You don't have to have a cloud involved and server costs and stuff. So one is just the pragmatics of, hey, it's just cheaper. If I bought a consumer camera, I can put it on my network and forward ports, and now I can look at it remotely. Um, but it's just, to me, irresponsible from a security perspective because the people opening their networks don't realize that there are a gazillion incoming things from hackers around the world as soon as you've opened your ports. And you know that's where you get these embarrassing cameras on the internet uh, that are just public, unbeknownst to people. And uh, so I think the problem is that it, we just don't have a stack for 
peer-to-peer -peer access that's not kind of vulnerable right now, and people aren't implementing things like even SSL on cameras is rare. Uh, so I think uh, there just needs to be, I think, the demand for it. Like if consumers care about security, I'm sure we'll provide better security. This is what I was saying was part of my frustration is like we we approach security as the top priority and we were disappointed that more people didn't clamor for it. And I think now it might be shifting. The tide might be shifting with some of these yeah. recent revelations. But I, I certainly hope it does because I think it's kind of irresponsible the way that we're uh, delivering stuff today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the commercial space, I think obviously there are more regulations, more, uh, you know, about, so I think really people take the security a bit more seriously. I mean, that's why it's there for that reason. But, um, yeah. again, you know, there are things that have been, that, that are open. I mean, there's some, yeah. uh, some software frameworks that you sort of use to not just connect cameras, but other like automation in commercial buildings were open and like people have been able to hack them. So yeah, got to do uh, a yeah. better job all around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some, you know, that are protected by VPNs and stuff, but it's still, you know, even the VPN approach is kind of securing the perimeter kind of thing as opposed to securing each individual. Mm -hmm. So I, I do think there's work to be done there. Even, even on some of the good security deployments, I think there's improvements we could make. Also had a um, question for you, I mean, about the smart home market in general. I mean, obviously, you, you guys are part of that. Um, how do you view it at the moment, um, you know, in terms of, like, how it's developing and how fragmented it is? Um, well, I mean, I know we are included in the smart home market. We don't think of ourselves as, like... I guess the one way that we think of ourselves is that if the Internet of Things could really extend to anything that a camera can see or hear without wiring stuff, I think that's the way that we touch that market. In fact, Cameo, uh, you could point a camera at your office door, put a zone around the door, and we can act like a virtual alarm sensor. So even if you have traditional security receivers from Tyco or others, uh, the camera can generate the signals to pretend like it's a it's a, a door perimeter breach. Uh, so in terms of the big picture of a camera being enabling the Internet of Things to extend to anything that a camera can see or hear, we're, we're part of that. But uh, I, be, beyond that, uh, I, don't, I don't, I mean, there are people like with the IFT recipes and stuff that are doing home automation, like, you know, open the shades or turn on the sprinklers and stuff, but uh, that's not really our core focus. We don't think of ourselves as Internet of Things, uh, even though it does apply to that. So in terms of home automation, I can just say from my perspective, uh, you know, it feels like uh, it's not got the lift it did a year ago, clearly. Like even, even two years ago, you know, there was a lot of excitement about it. And I think ultimately it's it's going to be important and big. It's just that it'll be imbued in everything. So it'll be kind of this thing where you just expect things to be connected and to work with each other uh, it, as opposed to a distinct category. You know, it's kind of like the Internet uh, where, you know, the Internet isn't really an industry 
uh, it's just it's enabled all these different things and I think that's the same kind of thing that's going to happen with Internet of Things. It's not like a category so much as it is infrastructure that's going to enable a lot of cool things to happen. Mm, yeah. Because uh, uh, I think things like um, Nest in terms of the energy management and, you know, Philips Hue, light and control. What what I've seen is uh, a lot of products for specific purposes, which are kind of, we, t- we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, cameras like Dropcam, um, mm-hmm. but not really anything that's kind of trying to bring these things together or, or offer something that is, uh, is, as you said, like a platform almost. Yeah, well, I mean, there's this tension where everybody feels like they have to capture the value uh, all themselves because in, in an emerging market, no one knows where on the value chain they have to be as like strategically. And then so then you end up with all this cacophony of vertically integrated solutions because people are worried about where they have to be on the value chain. Uh, and so you end up with these closed systems, each of which wants to be a, a platform, but they're really not because they're kind of closed and they're... So it's just, to me, it feels analogous to the early days of the PCs where, you know, you had, you used to buy a computer and you'd have 30 disks just to have print drivers for everything on your word processor. I'm dating myself, but, you know... <laughs> I, so, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. And so it, this was the world of, like, vertically integrated stacks. And so it wasn't for a while until the PC industry got that layering that allows you to get scale and platform type services. And so I think we're in the similar time period for Internet of Things where every venture funded company thinks they've got to be the end to end stack because uh, they're not certain where they need to be and it, you end up with all of these uh, kind of individual systems, unfortunately. But I think that's a temporary thing. I think ultimately the problems are hard enough and to be world-class at any of them requires enough focus that I think the layers will start to emerge and then you'll start getting better interop and more responsiveness to what people need to start bringing the things together. But it'll just take a little bit of time. How far away do you think we are from that? Um, I mean, with the pressure of the Internet of Things kind of funding and buzz waning and people going to, they're going to get closer and closer to like, okay, what are the pragmatic ways that I can integrate this into my particular problems? I, I hope that that is actually a healthy thing. Like it'll just say, okay, well, let's, let's look at, let's look at what we have to do to really make this useful at a broad scale. So. I don't have like a crystal ball, but I, in terms of our own planning, we're just thinking of it as like eventually it's going to be valuable to be world class at providing a general purpose pipeline that is smart about video and we're going to be aggressively great partners to everybody else in the industry to show that everybody can win by providing something that works together and so, you know, we, we basically are betting our business on the uh, kind of platformization of this, but we, I don't have like a, a timeline that I sure. yeah. promise, but yeah. But I, I think it's going to happen, you know, at least in the next couple of years. Uh, I think I think if we three years from now, I'd be surprised if we're still in this kind of vertically integrated land of Internet of Things. Mm. 
what do you see? So, so kind of forget smart home. Let like go back to what we were sort of, you know, more about your business and video. What do you see as really driving innovation in video at the moment? Um, I mean, I guess I'm going to just answer answer personally because I know there's excitement around higher resolution and things like with 4K and stuff. But I just I think it's the usefulness factor that is ripe for innovation that's why we're focused on that is I, I love the high resolution cameras and great lenses and you know great uh, capabilities with local analytics and things but I think ultimately it's like how do we make it how do we make video not be just black box recordings that no one ever looks at for unless there's like after the fact forensic needs and turn that into something that's truly useful on a daily basis so that you know a small shop owner could say oh I should uh, send one call one more worker to come in because the lunch line is so long or yeah. uh, it, it, it just like it's a yeah and, and that actually being automated an automated yeah. process so it, so you, it doesn't yeah. even require anyone to look at the video it is it just, yeah. it, it, it's yeah. it's its own it's its own system yeah. autonomous yeah yeah so I definitely think that's one area is like just the usefulness of video even above all the uh, resolution and other improvements but the second thing is that isn't even related to security at all is just what we've realized in our own use of Cameo over the last three years is that if you look at the way people take photos from their families and they've got you know a 200 gigabyte photo collection it seems inevitable that that's going to move to video if you could highlight the good parts and uh, you know we have uh, the, this life logging side of things where imagine being able to see a routine graduation uh, day family reunion coming up your walkway from you know 50 years ago as your grandparents you know were visiting and and the idea that you could have this continuous life logging that's got little moments throughout your life seamlessly accumulated there's no upload step and encoding step and download and share but it's just happening uh, seamlessly, I think this is going to be something on the consumer side that's really fascinating to me. It's like uh, it's like automated little highlights and mementos uh, that come as a byproduct of just everyday life. There's no posed moments, but you just get all of these little vignettes that collectively are really fantastic. And I can see that being a trend away from just having photo collections. Mm. So. So that's obviously unrelated to building security or anything, but I think that's going to be a, a big space for video. Mm, yeah, I've, I've seen way. I've seen some people do. Uh, I saw a bit of hardware where they were it was a life logging camera, so you kind of attached yeah. it to your front, and they took a photo every fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, they they were squarely in life. Yeah, and I think there's something there. It's it sounded kind of strange to me when I first. Mm, I agree. Heard that, but then. Yeah, but uh, but you look over the course of a few years of little saved moments, and it, it you really you really do have some good ones. So I think that's another trend. How interesting is sort of the commercial space to you? I mean, I would say building because we talk of smart buildings, yeah. but you probably think of it as as something completely different. Well, I I mean, this was part of our company challenge is that we were looking at it too generally as a platform without 
uh, looking at each vertical. So that's why, you know, we want to identify people that we can partner with that would be like the great building automation partner, uh, and whether that's integrators or others that are bringing a great solution to uh, building, that, that's what I think we need to do. So the, in terms of our understanding of the space, I don't think we are expert in that. So uh, we, our, our aspiration is to be a fantastic partner with the best video processing pipelines and enable the best services to be delivered. And so we'd love to partner with each industry vertical, whether it's like in building management or at home care or uh, you know uh, any set of retail industries. So we we don't claim to have any expertise in that, but we you've got you've got the pipeline, yeah. Exactly. So exactly. how how so if then, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how can how can they do that? What's the best way? The best way. Well, first you can just type hello at cameo.com for an email. But uh, our partners page at cameo.com slash partners would be a good way too. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's kind of our next phase is putting together these uh, partnerships. And we have some really good ones on tap that uh, I'm excited about launching soon. But uh, I'd love to get one. We have none in, in kind of building automation space right now. And I'd love yeah. to hear from people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully... Um people will contact you because I think um, it's really interesting what you guys are doing, definitely. Have you, are, are there any sort of plans for, for hardware? Uh, not from Cameo specifically, but from our partners. That We have some, part of the things that I'm excited about are some new devices that are uh, 4G and 3G connected that I think will be fantastic. So the, we want to have continue the openness to all camera sources and we're working with partners that are doing some really innovative stuff in the hardware space so but our, we ourselves don't have any hardware right now sure okay so I don't know if there's any final questions for Cardo or myself um, I will just going to um, change back to present it and just show you the last slide but uh, so we've got a couple of minutes if anyone wants to to ask some final questions Um, yeah, and I was just going to finish off really by uh, saying that, um, you know, if you want uh, anyone out there wants some more information about video surveillance market or security in general, um, we've got some, some research reports on our website uh, and also there's plenty of articles. I just wrote something about video analytics. So please um, go and have a look. I'll also be posting the audio uh, file uh, um, recording of this to, to the website. Uh, fairly soon um, so you can listen to that and obviously please share it with your colleagues uh, and in terms of what we're doing next with webinars is in October um, I wanted to hopefully speak to um, an architect here in the UK who uh, is on the Reba panel for um, for looking at this life cycle of buildings and, and he has a very interesting perspective on smart buildings so not firmed up a date on that yet, but um, stay tuned. And um, if you're on our mailing list, you'll get the information about that. So, Carter, I've just had one um, question for you, finally. Uh, what is the memory consumption in terms of RAM and flash? I'm assuming, I don't know what he's referring to, but I'm not uh, a... I, well, okay, so all of the processing 
is in the cloud. So it's they're all. I mean, we have hundreds of servers that uh, have varying memory profiles, but maybe it's a question around the actual Android device, for example, that's mm. using the camera. And uh, I think it's about 50 megabytes of uh, memory needed for the continuous video encoding and motion detection that runs on the camera. So any Android uh, device, even as old as 2.4, uh, can operate as a camera. And okay. on the iOS side, anything that's iOS 4S and later can be a camera. And on the Chrome browser side, uh, any Chrome browser can be uh, a camera. So if that answers the question, I'm not sure which type of device, but I think so because he followed that up. He just said no. Is then or no processing is done on the camera itself? Question mark. And that that is correct uh, at the moment, isn't it? Well, the the processing on the camera is related to the video motion detection. Uh, so there is some. It, there is a demand on the device just for that video motion detection. You can we do work with cameras that have no video motion detection, but then they send continuously, and it's a different cost profile. Uh, part of our cost uh, keeping the price low is that you only send when there's motion, and right. so that requires that the camera have video motion detection. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I think that's um, all of the questions. So I think it just remains me to say thanks a lot for. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. And, um, yeah, I think we covered some really interesting topics there, especially about, you know, your approach to with neural networks. Um, so yeah. if they, if they want to find out more about that, is, uh, is there anywhere they can, they can go? Uh, well, cameo.com has our general information, but if there's interest in any kind of deeper dive on our approach to neural nets, maybe we could publish uh, – a summary of that because I'm sure other people would be interested so yeah, just let can. me know uh, contact us from our website and I'm sure we'll follow up with any other info people would like to see great right well thanks very much and uh, yeah, thanks, thanks to everyone for attending yeah thank you bye-bye bye-bye